Coming up, NFL star Jack Brewer on why America is not a racist nation. Welcome to another Real American Heroes special edition. I'm Oliver North. Our guest today, Professor Jack Brewer of the Fordham-Gabelli School of Business in New York. Jack's a former NFL safety, a three-time team captain who played for the Minnesota Vikings, the New York Giants, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Arizona Cardinals. Jack's also a former investment banker, a devoted philanthropist, and served four years as ambassador to the U.S. Federation for Peace and Development at the United Nations. He co-hosts a digital podcast, Level-Headed, with Mike Lindell. And not last and not least, Jack's an ordained minister who dedicates his time in prisons all across America. Jack, thank you for taking time to join us today. Uh, what an honor and a pleasure. I appreciate it, Mr. Norton. Well, you and I have some common ground because I've got a grandfather and two uncles that graduated from the institution where you teach. So give me a ta your take on what our nation's been going through the last several months, the COVID virus, the shutting down of the economy, and now this civil unrest and, and disorder and quite vandalism, all of it. That's, give, me, give me your take on all this. This is unprecedented times. Um, you know, spiritually, you know, you read about these things and it seems like every day you're in a different chapter of Revelation. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's really a time that Americans um, can take a step back. I know most of us have spent, has probably spent more time in our houses and around our family uh, than we ever had. Uh, I know for me, I used to travel, I used to be on a plane four to five times a week and now all of a sudden I'm, I'm stuck in my house around my kids. And so uh, with all the negative going around us, I think, you know, it's also time to be aware of the positive things that we can pull out of this. Uh, the way that we can get our priorities reset uh, as Americans. And really for me, it's got a time, it's been a time for me to look at society uh, and really see what it's become. Uh, understanding that we remove God out of so many of our institutions. Uh, and seeing that, you know, political divide does does exist, but look how far we've come. I mean, you know, I, I look at either whether it's my son's school or where he's playing, uh, or you go to the grocery stores across the, the country, and you see diversity everywhere. I mean, people of all races um, are mingling in America. Uh, let's not forget, it didn't used to be that way. Uh, there was a time in our history where uh, people were truly divided, not just divided by their politics and by their speech, but physically divided. And so I don't think that exists as much. I think, you know, most Americans that are, uh, are level-headed uh, will acknowledge the fact that this nation has come a long way. Well, you know, look, there are those who say that there's systematic oppression in this country. Uh, you, you see that in some of, these, uh, some of these protests. I mean, in Washington, D.C., they're tearing down statues of just anybody on a horse, it seems, it seems like. And there's all kinds of things happening in places like Seattle. And it's, it's not necessarily a racial divide. It's a deep political divide and seemingly a disrespect for this country. Is, is that the way it looks to you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about systematic oppression, right, um, folks always wanna make that about race and people always wanna make that uh, about slavery. Well, you know, part of that is true, but the, but the major issue with our systematic oppression uh, is the fact that our system has been put in place to reward unions, our system has been put in place to reward uh, a lot of these 
uh, liberal politicians and their initiatives uh, locally. And so you talk about schools and education and the president's talked about this quite a bit uh, about being a civil rights issue. So there is systematic oppression in our school systems because when you go into a school like here in Broward County, and I see that our county spends almost $20,000 per kid per year for education. But then I can go and put my kid in a top private school for $14,000 per year. And yet, you know, we're graduating 60 or 70% of our black men uh, in the private school graduates 100%. And so you see naturally there, there's some systematic issues. But the systematic issues don't all come because of the color of your skin. It comes because there's been misappropriation of funds uh, in most of these liberal-ran cities and uh, in local governments. And I think we have to change the conversation to actually get to the root issues, right? We have systems put in place in America, whether it's our welfare system. Well, our welfare and entitlement systems in America disincentivize fatherhood, disincentivize the family unit, because the second a father moves into the home and the income level of the house goes up a little bit, they take that welfare away or they take that entitlement away instead of giving people a bridge to actually incentivize them to build strong family. You know, 73% of kids uh, that are black are born out of wedlock. I know that because I've had kids out of wedlock. And so what, what does that do? It breaks down the family unit. It becomes more difficult uh, for your child to be successful. You're five times more likely to, to live in poverty if you don't have a father in the home. You're almost 20 times more likely to go to prison. I mean, these things we can't deny uh, because when you look when you look back at our at our nation and we say, okay, what's happening to these poor kids? Well, 71% of kids who don't have who are dropping out of high school don't have a father. Right. These are the issues that we can really address. We can address them through our policy, but we got to be brave enough to attack it. And we can't shame people uh, like you see going across with this cancel culture. You can't shame people where they can't even talk about these issues or you call them racist. Well, you now hear a lot of calls for uh, defunding or canceling uh, police organizations around the country. I, I, I look at these defunding calls and I say, who are you going to get when you call 911 and you need help? What's your take? You're seeing what's happening with that. Uh, the same mayors that were calling to defund or standing up against the police, um, causing rift in their cities. You know, just last weekend, there was 104 people shot in Chicago, yeah. one American city. Mr. North, you, you've, seen, you've seen battles all around this, this, the world. You know, if, if you had 104 of your men shot, uh, in one day, what kind of scenario is that? And this is an American city. Uh, and so this is what is this is the result of weak leadership in these local cities. This is the result of people being lawless and not respecting uh, police officers. And, and, and it has the it has the end. Minneapolis. I went to school in Minnesota. I played for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, there's been over 100 people shot in Minneapolis since George Floyd got killed. Yep. I mean, these are numbers that uh, people wouldn't even believe are happening in the Middle East in war-torn countries and True. places in Africa where they're at civil war. Uh, and so that's the, that's the reality of our streets. And so for someone to say we need less police officers, 
or less resources put into our police officers. I'd like to ask them, are they willing to go out and protect and serve people they don't even know? Who is going to want to be a police officer in America if we continue this rhetoric? Well, I'll tell you, uh, there's about 30% of the, uh, America's law enforcement are former military personnel. They're veterans. And I hear from a lot of them that, you know, they were looking at doing this or going to a police academy or that kind of thing. And you're absolutely right. It's going to be really tough to recruit law enforcement officers next few years ahead. Very quickly, uh, the NFL, I mean, you got more experience in the NFL than anybody I've talked to, and certainly recently. Give me your take on what this season's going to be like with only 30% or whatever in the stands, if it even happens. What's it going to be like? It's going to be a different atmosphere. You know, I can't imagine playing in a, in a half-empty stadium. But, um, you know, I think one good thing about it is that now, you know, with, with the access to our iPads and our cell phones, people being able to stream in, uh, I think the, the viewership will still uh, increase. You know, I, I, it's, it's a game that America needs. You know, most of us, you know, on Sunday, we, we, we tune into the NFL, Monday Night Football. It's just such a part of the American culture. Uh, and right now, our country just needs it. It needs it to heal so we yeah. can get our, our minds off of pandemics and get our minds off of all these racial issues. Um, I think if the, if the NFL uh, does it the right way, uh, they can really help to unify this country. I just hope that it doesn't end up dividing us. And I hope um, that, you know, the powers that be understand what platform God has given them uh, and the ability that they truly have to take folks from all demographics and bring them together around this game. Um, we've seen it done before. Uh, and so um, I'm praying and hoping that, you know, this football season uh, is one that truly, truly unites this nation. Jack, uh 50 years from now, my great-grandkids are going to be studying about this extraordinary time in history. What do you want them to know about what you did during this remarkable time? You know what, man? If, if, if I had to, to, to write history and say, you know, personally, I just hope uh, that, that, I, that I stood for God. Um, stood for God during a time when, um, you know, spirituality was being removed from, from this nation, a nation that was founded under God. Um, and I hope that um, everything that I that I do and the messages that I put out are one uh, that that align with the word, align with the word of God. Uh, and hopefully uh, this is that that revolutionary period uh, that America gets back to its real principles and not principles of division and not principles of identity in uh, politics, but one that unites us through one common ground. And that's that we're all one blood. Man, 99% of our DNA is the same. Uh, and, you know, Christ tells us in Acts 17, 26, that we are one blood. Uh, and so if we truly are one blood, that means we will come together as one America. Uh, and I really pray and I hope that, you know, the future, um, the future says that. And I hope that that's uh, the way that and I'm remembered. I hope that's the way that this nation uh, is remembered for our kids and grandkids. God bless you, brother. I appreciate it very much you joining us today. Anytime, anytime, Mr. Yeah. All the respect in the world, man. There's patriots like you uh, that give this nation hope. Thank you. God bless you, brother. If this broadcast has been informative, helpful, or encouraging to you, take time now to subscribe and let me know how these unprecedented events have affected you and yours. By doing so, you may become part of this historical record of how America persevered and once again prospered. Until next time, remember, 
Semper Fidelis is more than a slogan for U.S. Marines. Always faithful is a way of life. Now, America, press on, press on.